Welcome, everyone, to the Ready for the Draft podcast. I am your host, Greg Schutz. This is episode three of the 2023 podcast series where we take a look at the draft eligible prospects and get you ready for the NFL draft. And I'll tell you what, we're just three weeks away from the full slate of college football games, Labor Day weekend. But look, the college football season actually begins on Saturday, August 27th. We actually have a few games that'll kick off that college football season before we get into Labor Day weekend. So we still have a lot of ground to cover before we get to the 27th of August. And really what I want to do is take a positional look at the draft as we move into the start of this college football season. Who are the guys to really keep an eye out for at each of the positions? And we're going to start rolling with the quarterbacks. And when you take a look at last year's quarterback draft class, not a ton of depth at the top, right? We only have four quarterbacks taken in the first two days of the draft. Kenny Pickett, the only quarterback taken in round number one. And that was the longest we had to wait for a quarterback to be drafted in the first round. He went number 20 overall to the Steelers. Look, that was the latest since EJ Manuel was taken number 16 overall in 2013. Ultimately, Desmond Ritter, Malik Willis, Matt Corral all came off the board there in round number three to kind of salvage that that draft class a little bit. We saw Billy Zappi, Sam Howell also come off the board there. But really, we lacked depth at that quarterback position. And really, that is a year removed from when we actually saw eight quarterbacks taken in the first two days of the draft, five of which were taken in the first 15 picks. Trevor Lawrence... Zach Wilson, Trey Lance taking one, two, and three overall. Then you had Justin Fields and Mac Jones kind of rounding out that group. So what can we expect from the 2023 draft class? That's really going to be one of the question marks, a big narrative for sure. And I'll tell you what, we know really what's going to happen at the top of this draft class, right? You've got Bryce Young, you've got CJ Stroud, two Heisman Trophy finalists. Obviously the Heisman Trophy winner there uh, with Bryce Young coming out of Alabama, but The question really is going to be, who's that third quarterback that's going to emerge, a guy that we could see potentially rise to the level of being a first-round selection? You know, there's a lot of talent beyond Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud, but there are a lot of question marks as well with this group. So that's really, we're going to have to see how that 2022 season plays out to see who really does rise to the occasion and have a big year. So a lot to get to, a lot of guys to discuss. So let's go ahead and jump right into things. And when you look at at Bryce Young, I think going into the season, he has to be the number one quarterback on your draft board. When you look at him, multiple touchdowns in each and every game. 47 touchdowns overall, seven interceptions, just under 67% completion percentage, over 4,800 yards through the air. This is a guy who... You know, threw four for three or more touchdowns in all but four of his games uh, during the regular season. And then you had the, the game against Georgia in the national championship where he threw just one touchdown and two interceptions. And really, when you look at it in the playoffs, four touchdowns, three interceptions, just threw for 181 yards against Cincinnati. Teams started to figure out what to do with Bryce Young a little bit towards the end of the season. But look, you know, you saw a stretch there in the SEC, a five-game stretch where, man, he was he was just locked in. Mississippi State, Tennessee, LSU, New Mexico State, 
Arkansas, 18 touchdowns, zero interceptions, and that five-game stretch really culminated with that Arkansas game where he was 31 of 40, which is 77.5% for 559 yards and five touchdowns. And what you see from Bryce Young, even though he was only a redshirt freshman, he was mature beyond his years. That's one of the things that I think really jumps off when you watch him play. You know, over 4,500 yards passing, single season record there at Alabama, but the poise, it's absolutely ridiculous what this kid was able to do, come out and right away really pick up where Bama left off and really cement himself as a front runner for the Heisman Trophy pretty much almost immediately. You know, this is a guy who has tremendous arm strength, despite the fact that he's not the biggest guy. Look, he's just 6'4", 194 pounds. But he has tremendous, you know, he has really good arm strength, has a, a quick release. But what you see is the is the pocket presence, the poise in the pocket. That's one of the things that I think really stands out for me. Um, you know, you saw when they played against Georgia, um, you know, Tra Trayvon Walker coming free, able to avoid rollout and keep his eyes down the field, locate a tight end, and make a throw down the football field. Uh, you know, a, a guy who is not the most mobile quarterback that you're going to find, but a guy that just knows how to manipulate the pocket, either these subtle movements to his left or right to avoid pressure, to buy a little bit of time, keep those eyes down the field, and look, you give him time, he will pick you apart. That's one of the things that I think is so impressive. And then when you watch the accuracy, Sure, there were a lot of short throws to running backs and receivers in this offense, but when it was time for him to throw the football down the field, what you really saw was his ability to throw his receivers open, the anticipation, you know, seeing where that defender is going to be and put the ball where only his receiver can make a play, whether it was a back shoulder throw, putting it towards the sideline, allowing his receiver to adjust and make a play on that, or really what he was really great at was those in-breaking routes, allowing those receivers who had a step on his man to make the catch and run after that catch. That's really the biggest thing. That yak was really what they were looking for. The, the ability, the touch on the deep ball, so drop the ball in the bucket down the field as well. I know when you've got a wide open receiver, throwing that deep ball, it, it doesn't really mean a whole lot in terms of the scouting world because everybody can make those deep throws. But what he could also do, you saw the precision passing, his ability to fit the ball into a tight window when he needed to. Um, you know, one of the things that I think in terms of the decision making, um, it was against LSU. You know, at the eight yard line, took a snap, was able to one hand it. So the poise and the calmness in the pocket. Then he rolls out. John Mechie had just, you know, uh, had off coverage against Dwight McLaughlin, the corner able to separate coming across the field into the end zone. He retreated, drew that, that defensive lineman up, and then had a nice throwing lane to put it over the top for, for the touchdown. Intelligent, calm, and his ability to, to make plays, I think that really was one of the things that stood out for me um, you know, with, with, with him, for sure. Uh, you know, the, like I said, the arm strength is there. You see the timing. Um, his ability to put the line, you know, ball on a line out in front of his receiver, allow them to make a play and get down the football field. Um, but one of the things that you can't say about Bryce Young is you've got to put pressure on him. And that's really the biggest thing that I think stands out for me is, is when you put pressure on him, the footwork gets a little sloppy at times. Um, and sometimes he'll be stepping off, you know, uh, throwing off his back foot. And that's really where you're going to see um, – see him 
struggle a little bit at times with some of that footwork is it, it, you know the accuracy drops and, and diminishes quite a bit the blitz when he gets blitzed if he sees that blitz coming he's going to take advantage of that he's going to throw to the hot receiver and, and make a play on you. he's going to really make it difficult for you um, if he's able to get a good read on that the biggest problem is ultimately you've got to get to him early and off you've got to force him off of off of his spot he's really good at getting outside the pocket keeping his eyes down the field but again he will force it at times when he gets outside the pocket, especially you know, because he's not a, a, a tremendous runner of the football. If you can get into some of those passing lanes, if you can really start chasing him down, he's going to try to force it at times. And I think that's really what you saw, especially from, from Georgia in that national title game. He struggled at times with some of that pressure. In the first quarter, he was two of six for eight yards when he was pressured, when he wasn't pressured. 7 of 9 for 56 yards. That was just in that first quarter. I think that's really the first time you really saw him as a redshirt freshman. You know, this was the other thing, too, that, that he would struggle with at times was he would hold on to the ball too long. You know, this is such an intelligent quarterback, high football IQ. There were some times where you might have some of that analysis paralysis where he, he's either rolling out or trying to do too much, trying to look for too much instead of just getting rid of the ball and living to see another down but look bryce young there's a reason why he's at the top of the list it's because of his approach to the game he just understands where to go with the football at all times just when you didn't think bama could find a quarterback as in, as intelligent as mac jones was uh, a guy who wasn't the best athlete but always knew where to go with the football and then the accuracy the pinpoint uh ball placement bryce young was able to elevate that and really take things to the next level. Now, beyond Bryce Young, the, the next guy is, is C.J. Stroud. And I think when you're talking about these two guys, I think they'll be doing battle with each other and Will Anderson for that first overall pick. And, and so that's really what's going to be interesting with in terms of the dynamic. You look at C.J. Stroud, he's a little bit bigger. He's 6'3", 215 pounds, uh, fourth in the Heisman Trophy voting. And when you look at his, his stats, eerily similar. 71.9% completion percentage, over 4,400 yards, 44 touchdowns, and just six interceptions. Uh, you know, two of which were, were in a, a game against Nebraska, threw for over 400 yards in that game, two touchdowns, two interceptions. Uh, but when you look at, you know, the, the game against Michigan State was absolutely unreal. Had six touchdowns in the first first half, 32 of 35, that's 91.4% completion percentage, for 432 yards, and six touchdowns. And who can forget the performance of the Rose Bowl? 80, completing 80% of his passes, 573 yards, six touchdowns and an interception. He and Jackson Smith and Jigba, the one-two punch in that game. Uh, no longer, didn't have his, his main guys and Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson, but it didn't matter. That was one of the things that I thought really stood out. Um, you know, look, third quarterback throw for over 40 yards at Ohio State, uh, you know, along with uh, Dwayne Haskins and Justin Fields. You know, in that Rose Bowl game, three touchdowns on three straight passes. Uh, you know, just absolutely ridiculous what this guy was doing. And like Bryce Young, I thought he got a lot better as the season went along. You just saw him continue to get the momentum, continue to build a rapport with his receivers. And that's why I'm really looking forward to seeing what he can do this year. You know, he's got guys returning 
It's not like the, the coverage bear at the receiver position. In addition to JSN, you've got Marvin Harrison. You've got Julian Fleming. You also have Emeka Ibuka. So there are a lot of talented receivers in that group that he'll be able to throw the football to. Um, I, I think what you see is is a really, really good touch down the football field. I think that's one of the things that really stands out is ability to drop the ball in over the shoulder. Uh, the, the ball placement is excellent, putting the ball up and over the corner on, on fade routes. Uh, really takes advantage of the mismatches. I think against Utah, saw that, that Micah Bernard was playing corner due to an injury, took advantage of that, found his receiver, uh, Smith and Jigba, also found him uh, against David Ojabo. You know, and that's one of the things that I think, you know, his that intelligence, that, that ability to pick that up quickly and be able to get the football out and take advantage of that, uh, you know, I, I thought really spoke a lot there. Uh, it was ability, especially when, when the pocket was collapsing, his ability to step up, move to his right to avoid the rush, keep his eyes down the football field and deliver a strike. Not just the statue, not just standing in the pocket, understanding how you know how to manipulate that pocket to be able to not only extend the play, but still be able to get the football down the field. Does a really good job going through his progressions. I think that's one of the things that you see. Tremendous processing uh, of the of what's happening in front of him, his ability to uh, put the ball right over his receiver's shoulder before the safety could get there, uh, just as an example. I love the eye discipline his ability to move the safety with his eyes and then be able to throw his receivers open. The anticipation is absolutely there. That's one of the things that definitely stands out. What, what's really odd though, is his inability to drive the football on a consistent basis on those intermediate routes. The, the touch on the deep balls, absolutely. He just drops it into a bucket. But what's really weird when he's asked to deliver the football on a line, you don't always see that. And you saw that in that Utah game, Rose Bowl, Pump on the stutter and go from the left hash. Tried to hit uh, Julian Fleming up the sideline, 20 yards into the end zone. Clark Phillips with inside leverage, eyes in the backfield. Ball was underthrown, and he was able to pick the football off. Good inside position. Needed to uh, a little bit more arm strength, a little bit more touch on that football. The ball would be late at times, and, and the ball would, would hang up and allow the defender, who was beaten more often than not, to get back in there and make a play on the football. But then he'd come back and he'd deliver a strike 20 yards down the field to the wide side. So we know he's capable of making these intermediate throws even to the wide side of the field. But can he do it on a consistent basis? Is there enough arm strength that's really there to be able to do this on a consistent basis? That's really a big question mark, I think, when I watch C.J. Stroud. Um, you know, he's a guy that, you know, he's not a, a huge threat to run the football, but look, when, when the field opens up, he's a guy that isn't afraid to pull pull the football and, and take off. Uh, you know, I think it's one of those things too, his ball security is questionable at times, struggles with, with that mesh point, couldn't always get the ball into the gut of the running back, and uh, you know would see multiple fumbles there, so he really needs to take care of the football a little bit more. But uh, in terms of the decision making, in terms of understanding the offense, you know, you couldn't go wrong with C.J. Stroud. So I think still right now, Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud have to be the top two quarterbacks in this group. But I'll tell you what, there are two quarterbacks that I think have a great shot at being that number three quarterback. And I think they have a good shot at actually being a potential top ten pick. And the first one's going to be Will Levis out of, Can uh, out of Kentucky. 6'3", 232 pounds, number seven is a stud. 
you know, uh, Penn State transfer comes in. Look, against Vanderbilt, started the game 7-7 for 118 yards and two touchdowns. I think that's one of the things when I watched that game, um, he was on fire, lights out, and was just delivering such a, a great football um, down the field. Ultimately, over 2,800 yards passing, 24 touchdowns, but 13 interceptions. Really needs to cut down on that. Had three interceptions. We'll talk about his decision-making here in a second. But uh, definitely a really good athlete running the football. Uh, 376 yards on the ground, nine touchdowns, including four against Louisville. Um, and, uh, you know, what was interesting with when I studied Will Levis is, is he can make all the throws, all, you know, all thirds, um, can throw to the wide side on the line, velocity there on the deep ball. I think that's something that definitely stands out. Um, you know, the, the accuracy that you see with him, a lot of screens that padded his completion percentage. You know, when we talk about it, completed 66% of his passes. Yes, a lot of them were on screens and, uh, and short throws. But you know what I loved was just his, still his ability to drive the football on a lot of those those short intermediate routes and even on some of those deep balls. Um, what he did struggle with at times was, was inconsistency with his footwork. I, I think that's one of the things that you saw with him. Wouldn't always set his feet. Ball would sail. You'd see the launch point on some of his de uh, deep balls. You know it was questionable at times because ultimately he'd overthrow his receiver. Um, but uh, in terms of his delivery, very quick release, compact delivery there. Um, definitely elusive in the pocket. His ability to, to sidestep a blitzing safety, pick up additional yards if, if he needs to. Um, does a really good job keeping his eyes down the football field as well. Um, mentioned that arm strength. You know, just his ability to drive the football down the field with just a flick of a wrist. I think that's one of the things that was really impressive when I watched him and his ability with that ball placement, being able to drop the football in the bucket, you know, that's something that you definitely want to see out of your quarterback. Um, but the ball placement was inconsistent at times. Wouldn't always throw the football out in front of his receiver, lead that receiver, needs to work on some of the anticipation. Don't always put it on that hip because that's going to allow that defensive back to get in there and make a play on the football. But again, intermediate routes, you would see the touch. His ability to drop the football over the defense, put it over the shoulder of the receiver, uh, you know, fades down the sideline. You'd see the touch there as well. So he definitely has the ability to do that. Eye discipline. That's one of the things that I think definitely stood out for me was his ability to hold the safety with his eyes, then be able to to turn and uncork a, a ball, you know, good 25, 30, 40, 50 yards down the field, often to his, his top target, Wandale Robinson. And when you look at, at Kentucky, Wandale, you know, of his 2,800 yards passing, the majority of it went to his his go-to wideout, and that was Wandale Robinson, who caught 1,334 yards of that, that 2,800 yards that Will Levis had. So when you lose that type of production at that receiver position, we talk about that quite a bit. You look at guys who struggled to build that rapport. We saw it out of Sam Howell this past season, really lost Javante Williams and Michael Carter there at that running back position, lost both of his receivers in terms of uh, you know Daz Newsome, Deami Brown, and he struggled to build that rapport. You know, ultimately had that with that connection with Josh Downs, but that was really where he struggled at times. You also saw that from Josh Allen. He had you know the Wyoming's all-time leading rusher Brian Hill. He had Taylor Gentry. He had Jacob Hollister. 
as his receivers, they all move on to the NFL, and he struggled to build rapport at times. So that's one of the things that I really am going to be looking for with Will Levis is how quickly he's able to develop some of that chemistry there. Um, I, I think what you do see with Will Levis as well is he'll hold on to the ball a little bit too long. Uh, I, I think he needs to see the whole field. He'll stare down some of his receivers. Um, he'll telegraph passes, allowing defensive backs to get in on the play as well. Um, so I think those are some issues that he needs to work out. But look, he, he's a dynamic athlete. You know, and that's one of the things that I love about Will Levis. Look, you know, he's a physical runner isn't afraid to hurdle a guy in the open field either. I think that's one of the things that you see. Not overly elusive laterally, but he's definitely effective as a downhill runner. And look, he'll lower the pads and he'll deliver a blow to finish out that run for sure. Tyler Van Dyke out of Miami is the other guy that I think really has a great shot at being a, a first round pick. Look, 6'4", 224, uh, definitely looks the part. The redshirt freshman came in a season ago and uh, you know, was six and three as a starter. Not a bad start there against Central Connecticut State. Um, 10 of 11, 270 yards and three touchdowns. Not a bad way to start things a little bit there. Struggled in his next two outings, a couple of losses against Virginia and North Carolina. Um, under 50% completion percentage in those two games, two touchdowns, three interceptions. Didn't eclipse the 300 yard mark in any of those games, but look, it was really what happened down the stretch. Won five of his last six through over 300 yards in each of those games, including a 426-yard performance against Pittsburgh. Had four games without throwing an interception. And look, Miami just seemed to be on a roll with this guy at the helm throwing the football. And that's really one of the things that I think stands out for sure when you watch him play. This is a guy that can drive the football to all levels of the football field. Quick release. Big arm, I think those are two of the things that you could definitely say about Tyler Van Dyke. The deep ball accuracy is questionable at times. Really feast or famine when it comes to that deep ball with, with Tyler Van Dyke. I thought he got better as the season progressed. And really what I'm looking forward to is having an entire season under his belt. Um, I, I thought against Florida State, um, and, and in a losing effort, you saw poise in rhythm, short routes, intermediate routes, on the money, trying to lead his team back to victory. I thought that's something that definitely stood out for me. Um, needs to change his speeds a little bit, work on that touch. Not everything needs to be a fastball. You can dial that back just a little bit. Um, but look, the pocket presence is absolutely there. He knows how to not only manipulate the pocket, but he's able to take a hit, shrug it off, and still be able to deliver the football to the wide side of the football field. Um, and put it there on a line. I think that's something that definitely stands out when you watch him play as well. Um, I think he tries to take advantage of that arm strength a little bit too much. He'll do a really good job of threading the needle into tight coverage and make some of those NFL-type throws. But he, the decision-making, he needs to make sure that he's not forcing it because that is what's going to get him into trouble. But I think on the whole, when you look at, at Tyler Van Dyke, you know, he was a young kid. Uh, and really struggled at the beginning, but you saw the confidence really start moving in, in the right direction. You started seeing him being able to manipulate defenders as well with his eyes, uh, the, the comfort level there, the deep ball accuracy was getting better as the season progressed as well, the poise in the pocket. To me, I think the, the future is bright for Tyler Van Dyke. A big year under new head coach Mario Cristobal. That's gonna be the biggest question mark there, but look, 
I think he'll have better protection this season. You're going to get an offensive line-minded coach there in uh, Mario Cristobal. He's going to bring a physicality to the front line. So I think that's definitely going to help with Tyler Van Dyke. Get a running game that's going to be able to support you know a little bit of that play action. Really be able to see what Tyler Van Dyke can do in an offense that will be tailor-made, I think, for the NFL as well. Next on my list is Devin Leary. I think he's just a step below. Uh, you know, he's 6'1", 212 pounds, the junior from NC State. And, and look, this is a guy who I, we, we talked about the the loss of, of players around you, that, that supporting cast, and, and what that's going to look like. We're going to see what Devin Leary is really made of because he's losing his top two running backs in Zonovan Bam Knight and Ricky Person. He's also losing a Mecca Mezzi, his top receiver as well, along with Iki Aquanu, the number six overall pick in the draft, going to Carolina, who was blocking his blind side. He's got a new left tackle as well, so it's really going to be interesting to see uh, what Devin Leary can do with this new offense around him. But uh, look, you know, I, I thought Devin Leary had, a, had another big year. Uh, 65.7% completion percentage, over 3,400 yards through the air, 35 touchdowns, just five interceptions. He had eight games without a single interception thrown, and in each of those games, he threw for multiple touchdowns. So it's not surprising that those 35 touchdowns broke Phillip Rivers' single-season school record, and also that, that passer efficiency rating of 157.1, that's second in team history. I think Leary really showed you what he can do when he stays healthy. Battled some injuries in 2020. 2021 was his season to really show what he can do. This is a guy who I think can stretch defenses horizontally, puts the ball on his line, allows his receivers to make a play with the football in their hands. What I love is his ability to put the football where only his guy can make a play. And yes, he does struggle with the consistency there at times, but he has a short memory. And that's what I love about him is that he'll make a throw, he'll miss his mark, either put it behind his receiver, underthrow him, but then on the very next play, he will deliver an absolute strike with perfect ball placement. I think that's something that definitely stands out when I watch him. I thought he had decent deep ball accuracy overall, putting enough air under the football to allow his receivers to, to run under it and make a play. That's one of the things, I think the launch point at times with a lot of quarterbacks, they struggle to get enough air underneath the football. A lot of times you see the receivers have to hold up and wait to get that football. And rather than hit them in stride, they're waiting on that ball. And uh, you know, a good play could have been a game-breaking play potentially. And so one of the things that I see there from him is, is his ability to hit his receiver in stride down the football field. I also really like the fact that he understands coverage, where pressure's coming from, where to go with the football as a result, and be able to get the ball out of his hands quickly to make a play down the football field. I think what you also see with him is the, the pocket. Sometimes it'll collapse around him. He will hold on to the ball a little bit you know, too long at times. One of the things that I thought was was really impressive, even in that Clemson game, you saw him able to escape the grasp of Miles Murphy, and then ultimately also able to get out of the grasp of Brian Brissy, two guys that we're talking about as first-round prospects on the defensive line, and was able to 
get out of the grasp of both of these guys. So when you look at him, he's not the most physically imposing at 6'1", 212, but he's a lot tougher than he looks. I think he's a good athlete. He can pull it down, has the speed to get to the outside and down the sideline, can extend plays with his legs. Um, so when you look at, at his rushing totals, look, just 54 carries, minus 73 yards on the ground, but I think he's a better athlete than people really give him credit for. Um, and so I'll be looking forward to see what he can do there in the ACC. Number six on the list keeps us in the ACC, and that's Brennan Armstrong out of Virginia, 6'2", 250 pounds. The lefty, look, this guy's a playmaker. I think he, he's tremendously accurate. I think that's one of the things that you definitely see when you watch Cavalier football, 65.2% completion percentage. And when you look at his stats overall, just three games where he completed under 60% for the, for the game, over 4,400 yards through the air, 31 touchdowns, 10 interceptions, and look, when you talk about the interception count, just three games without an interception. So I think in terms of the decision-making, just making sure that he doesn't have a couple of those mental lapses, really shore things up, because I think that can make all the difference in the world when you're looking at a, a prospect. And, and look, when you're talking about Brandon Armstrong, what's he going to look like in a Tony Elliott offense? That's going to be a big question. We know that he has the weapons in Dontavian Wicks, and, and Keaton Thompson, uh, a couple of dynamic receivers. Uh, Jelani Woods, his tight end, is not going to be there, so that's going to hurt a little bit in terms of having that weapon. But, man, this dude, the ball comes out quickly. He's got that three-quarter release, very quick release. I think you're going to see a guy who has a tremendously strong arm, a guy that's going to be able to fit the ball into a tight window on a line, make some of those NFL-type throws, whether it's between the numbers or being able to get the ball outside the numbers as well. I think that's something that you definitely see there. You love the ball placement, especially on his back shoulder throws as well. The, the decision making, very quick decisions, ball out in a hurry, knows what to do with the football. I think his deep ball accuracy is inconsistent, doesn't always put enough air under the football, down the field. Uh, I think his vision at times, seeing the entire field, he will stare down his receiver at times, so that's something that he needs to watch out for, for sure. Armstrong's tremendously athletic. He's one of the more athletic quarterbacks in this draft class, able to avoid those blitzing linebackers, being able to sidestep the rush, being able to extend the plays, getting outside the pocket when he needs to, keep those eyes down the field. And when it's time for him to run, he knows what to do with it. He can be elusive in the open field. Look, nine touchdowns on the ground. I think if there's a sleeper in this draft class, it could very well be Brennan Armstrong. Now, number seven on the list is going to be Phil Dracovic. Boston College, 6'5", 214 pounds, a transfer from Notre Dame, comes into BC in 2020, has a big year, expecting big things in 2021, has an awkward fall against UMass, injures his wrist, had to have surgery, and even when he came back, he just wasn't the same type of guy. I really want to see him a healthy Phil Dracovic. Because look, in 2020, 61% completion percentage, over 2,500 yards, 17 touchdowns, five interceptions on the year. And th this was a guy who, you know, big, strong arm kid, good pocket presence. You saw him shrugging off defenders a la Big Ben. Um, you saw some good timing from him at times. Did a really good job keep taking care of his receivers, putting the football where the defenders weren't. And if he had a defender lurking, he's going to put the ball where his receiver's not going to take a big hit. So you definitely love to see that. 
deep ball accuracy. You know, it was a bit flat at times. That was really what was surprising for me. You know, he did a good job driving the football outside the numbers, but when he wanted to stretch the ball vertically, that throw was really flat, needed more touch, needed more air on that football. I think he does a good job, you know, going through his progressions, uh, coming off his, his primary receiver. Um, but he, he is a guy that, you know, when, when the ball is thrown late, a lot of times it's going to be underthrown. So he needs to really pick up that processing and be able to get rid of the ball in a hurry. Um, you know, pre-snap reads, doesn't always see the blitz. We'll take some of those big hits in the pocket. I think the biggest thing for me with him was he always seemed to be wanting to move backward. You saw him a lot of times retreating and he wouldn't set his feet because if you're backpedaling and then trying to reestablish your footing and then try to drive forward on the football, it's a lot harder to do that than if you're moving sideways or moving forward, being able to reset your feet and then deliver a strike. A lot of times he was spent retreating and he didn't even need to do that. His offensive line would give him protection and then all of a sudden a guy would come late and instead of just hanging in there, he'd want to retreat and then by doing so, now all of a sudden he's throwing off the back foot and a lot of times he would lose any accuracy or arm strength with that. So he really needs to do a better job of just really standing firm there in the pocket. When he does manipulate that pocket, being able to either move laterally or step up and really focus on, on driving that football. I think if he does that, then you know, Phil Dracovic could have a very nice uh, you know, comeback, if you will, in 2022. Number eight is a bit of a wild card, and that's Anthony Richardson out of Florida. 6'4", 232 pounds. Look, this is a guy who looks like he could be the next Cam Newton, a guy who's going to be physical. He's going to want to run you over. Uh, tremendously strong arm. I think that's something that definitely jump, jumps off the tape. He can sling the ball anywhere on the football field. Can throw it to all thirds. I think one of the things that everyone talks about is the elasticity in his arm. You know, the velocity being able to, to you know, fading away, unlike what we were seeing with Phil Dracovic, he can still fade away and still be able to get velocity on that football. An unstable platform, throwing across the field, across his body, um, you know, being able to set his feet, throw him back to the wide side of the field, putting the ball on the money. At the same time, you do see this winding delivery. And so that's one of the things that you worry about is, you know, yes, he's got a tremendously strong arm, but can he shorten that delivery a little bit? Because that could get him into trouble. Uh, his footwork doesn't always set his feet, which will cause him to, you know, sail his football at times. He can also be very erratic on the move. And I think he struggles to see the entire field at times, whether it's staring down his receiver like he did against Georgia, allowing N'Kobe Dean to step in and pick off the football, or just not picking up the blitz and ultimately paying the price because of that. I, I think also the timing, he, he struggles with that at times as well. Had a, a receiver in that Georgia game on a skinny post, threw late over the middle and behind his receiver, was ultimately picked off by the safety, and they were actually in Georgia territory when that, when that pick was thrown. He'll force it into congestion. He's not always decisive with his throws. And like I said, we'll throw into coverage on the move as well. Um, he'll rush his throws deep. Um, but again, the athleticism, the arm strength, it, the, the, the traits are, are really what gets everybody excited. 
you know, I thought, you know, his, his ability in the pocket when I watched him against Georgia, he was so strong. He was able to shed the tackle of, of Devontae Wyatt in the backfield. Uh, a guy who has that speed on the outside, but also the ability to drag the pile as well. Uh, it's really just going to be interesting to see what he can do under Billy Napier. Can he take that next step as a quarterback? The question is really going to be, can he put all the pieces together in 2022? The next two quarterbacks, really, they're, they're kind of tie for, for ninth. And uh, they're two guys I'm really excited about because they're, they're getting a change of scenery. And that's Keaton Slovis. Uh, Pittsburgh, formerly of USC, and Spencer Rattler of, of South Carolina, formerly of Oklahoma. And in the case of Keaton Slovis, look, 6'2", 200 pounds. This was a guy who um, in, in 2019 burst onto the scene as a true freshman, takes over for an injured D JT Daniels who uh, tore his ACL in that first game against Fresno State and, and really emerged as a guy, look, he was an unheralded quarterback, a three-star guy, but look, he was coached by Kurt Warner in high school and a, a kid who I think really was flying under the radar. In 2020, in Graham Harrell's offense, USC's passing offense ranked 11th nationally, first in the Pac-12. Uh, Slovis was a first-team All-Pac-12, ranked in the, in the top 20 in completions, passing yards, and, and total offense. Um, completion percentage, was number 18 overall at 67%. And so when you look at, at what he was able to do in that offense in 2020, you were expecting big things going into that 2021 season, and it just didn't happen. And really, I think what happened was teams were able to figure out what Graham Harrell was wanting to do with that spread offense. And I, and I think ultimately it messed with, with Keaton Slovis. You know, I, I think it really did. You saw this uh, paralysis by overanalysis. You know, Keaton Slovis wouldn't get rid of the football. You know, you're, you're waiting for him to do that, and he's going through his progressions. He's looking left, he's looking right, he's looking to the middle, and really, Graham Harrell wanted to attack the sideline, attack the boundary whenever possible, and didn't really always want to attack the middle of the football field. Ultimately, if they had matchups, you'd see a lot of balls thrown deep, and Keaton Slovis, one of the things that you love about him is he had full confidence in his receivers to win those 50-50 balls. But look, if he didn't make that perfect throw, and a lot of times those balls would get too far to the inside and allow those DBs to make a play on the ball, you know, a lot of times Drake London had to bail him out as well. You know, it would get him into trouble, and you saw a lot of three and outs as a result because that offense, you know, they, they just teams were catching up with it. They could sit there and rush three, drop eight. And ultimately, what's Keaton Slovis going to do? At some point, those three guys are going to end up getting home because those eight guys are out covering your receivers and you have nowhere to go with the football. He's not the dynamic runner to really force you out of that zone. And they didn't have the running game at SC either. So I think that's really where, where things uh, took a toll on Keaton Slovis. I, I think you see the, the touch, the accuracy, it's definitely there. The arm strength is there as well. He can make all the throws that you need him to do. Um, you know, yes, his deep ball, at times the ball will hang up. You know, you want to see him really drive the football a little bit more. Um, but I think a lot of that is absolutely there. When he is on time and in rhythm, he can be absolutely deadly. And that's why I'm looking forward to seeing him get out of that spread offense and get into uh, Frank Signetti's pro-style offense there with the Panthers. I'm really excited, and I think Keaton Slovis has a, a good chance to 
put that behind him and allow him to really excel in an offense that's more suited for his skill set. You know, I, I think this is a guy, I think he's comfortable whether he's rolling left or rolling right. I think when he does roll left, he's still able to get the square to his target, get those hips around. So from a mechanic standpoint, I, I think he's, he's pretty polished for the most part. Um, you know, I think he can drive the football outside the numbers, especially on those intermediate throws, being able to hit the, the receiver. Um, you know, the biggest thing is, is trusting his eyes. I, I think that's one of the things that you know, he, he needs to really work on because he'd stare down Drake London a little bit too much. Um, I, I think a lot of times he'd miss uh, the, the linebackers, whether it was against, uh, you know, Kyle Soule there for, for ASU picking off a football or, or Anthony Pandy against U of A. These guys are dropping into the passing lane and he wouldn't see these guys and they would ultimately make a play on the football and there'd be an interception and uh, any momentum that he had, he lost. You know, that was the same thing against Oregon State. Jack Coletto, the linebacker, they're trying to come back and there's Jack Coletto dropping into the passing lane, reading Keaton Slovis' eyes and was able to, to make a play on the football and, and pick off the pass and really limit any type of a comeback there for the Trojans. And I think really he was just snake bit during the season. I, I think ultimately with that offense, it messed with Keaton Slovis's rhythm. I think he's really a rhythm quarterback, um, not much of an, uh, a threat to run the football so much, but a guy who I think Look, you know, when you look at SC and what he was able to do, um, a 68.4% completion percentage in his career, over 7,500 yards, 58 touchdowns, 24 interceptions. You know, again, those interceptions needs to cut down on those quite a bit. And look, in 2021, had 11 touchdowns to those eight interceptions. That's really not going to get it done, um, whether you're playing in the Pac-12 or the ACC. Um, you know, he needs to speed up his clock a little bit. I think that's one of the things that he struggles with because he was going through his progressions and couldn't find anyone. But you also see these glimpses. You'd see him feel the backside pressure, roll out of the pocket, and put the ball on the money to his receiver down the field. So there are signs to his game, but I think he was shook in this offense. So really a change of scenery was something that he needed. I wouldn't be surprised if Keaton Slovis has a big year in the ACC running an offense again that I think is more suited for him. Then we take a look at Spencer Rattler. 6'1", 200 pounds, and the hype train for Spencer Rattler was unreal. Look, he's coming into a situation where you had back-to-back -back Heisman Trophy winners at Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray, and then Jalen Hurts was the Heisman runner-up. These guys were drafted two in the first round, one in the second, and now you're asked to be the guy that's going to step in and take OU to the next level. You know, this is a kid who, you know, the hype train, five-star recruit, and, you know, he definitely looked the part. You saw the, the arm strength, the ability to get the football out quickly, the effortless delivery, just flick of, of the wrist, and he'd be able to throw the football 50-plus yards down the field. He'd be able to change those arm, arm slots to make the proper throw. Uh, you know, you saw him deliver the football from the the near hash to the opposite sideline on a line. The arm talent was absolutely there. I think that was something that you, you never question with Spencer Rattler. 
One of the things that you definitely saw with him, though, was the accuracy on the run. This was a kid who loved to get outside the pocket, keep those eyes down the football field, and make plays vertically, which is great, but you also need to play within that pocket as well. Be able to manipulate the pocket. You don't always have to get out and roll out. He escaped that pocket when he didn't need to. If you just stay in the pocket, sidestep the rush, step up a little bit, and deliver a strike, you'll be in good shape. But he wanted to roll out, and what you're doing when you're rolling out is you're essentially eliminating half the field, and then that field really shortens as you continue to move to your right. And if you get to the sideline, you've really limited your target space. And so that's one of the things that I think for Spencer Rattler, he time and time again would get outside the pocket. And yes, you've got a tremendous arm and that velocity is going to get there in a hurry. But a lot of times he's forcing the football at that point. The DBs at that point, they've caught up. They've caught up to the receiver. You don't always have a guy that's breaking free. And so that's really the biggest head scratcher for me with him was getting that football out quickly, being able to stay within the pocket be able to deliver a strike down the field you don't always need to make that sports center top 10 throw hey i'm rolling out and then i'm going to throw the football 60 yards down the field and deliver a strike to my receiver you don't always need to do that you can manipulate the pocket and still be just as effective and still be able to move the football down the field this is a kid i, I think he's going to you know really a fresh start in a familiar home shane beamer coach special teams for OU before he ended up taking the head coaching job there with the Gamecocks. And I'm looking forward to seeing what Spencer Rattler can do. He finally is in a home where, look, the pressure had to get to him. And then on top of that, when you have your fans chanting, we want Caleb, meaning Caleb Williams, you know, that, that's got to be hard for, for the kid. You know, he stayed as focused as he could be. After the he was pulled from that Texas game, Caleb comes in and takes uh, the team on that tremendous comeback, and they end up winning that football game. You know he took some time off, but look, you know, you saw him being a good teammate, looked to be engaged on the sidelines. Um, so I'm really happy that he gets this fresh start, and hopefully he can make the best of it. Uh, my final quarterback, really number 11 on the list, I guess, because I've got the two two guys there at number nine, is Jake Hayner out of Fresno State. Six foot, 200, uh, you know, Washington transfer, a guy who actually entered the transfer portal and then backed out on December 8th when Jeff Tedford was hired. You know, he was ninth in the FBS in passing with 4,096 yards, 33 touchdowns on the year as well. And I think when you look at him, you know, I think Gamer is really what comes to mind. I think the legend of Jake Hayner there at Fresno State uh, in that game against UCLA was solidified. You know, uh, and just to kind of tell you the story, the Bulldogs are down for 37-33 with less than a minute to play. Hits Jalen Cropper in a window that opened up over the middle, put the ball out in front of his receiver, hit him in stride. The next play found Josh Kelly down the sideline, found his receiver for another 25 yards, put the ball up and over the DB along the sideline, and then an 11-yard touchdown hit his receiver Jalen Cropper at the front pylon with 14 seconds left to play to put Fresno State up 39-37. Six plays, 75 yards. Why was that so special? Well, with 2.55 to play, 
he hung in the pocket, hit his receiver um, on a stop route, put the ball to the outside, and made a nice play, nice throw on the football. But he had to be helped on, the, helped to the sideline. Went down, holding his hip uh, from a shot that he took by you know Stephen Blaylock, the safety, and Ali Caho, the, the the linebacker. And this kid just got beat up in the backfield by the Bruins and. You know, I, I don't know how he was able to continue to hang in there in the pocket, but he was, and the pain that he was in, and yet he was still able to do what he did in the, the last seconds of that game to will that team to victory. You know, this dude, man, you don't rule him out. This dude is tough. Um, you like the accuracy on, on his football. Deep ball accuracy, though, is inconsistent. Um, I, I think he, he has really good arm strength. The ability to even throw across his body at times. Some of those are ill-advised throws. So I think he, uh, you know, that gunslinger mentality at times. He needs to dial that back, play within the confines of the offense, not think too highly of that arm strength that, hey, I can make every throw. Be smart with those throws. Um, but what you also love is, is the vision, his ability to, you know, pump left, eyes to the left, that comes back to the right, finds his receiver on a deep crossing route, and then the touch to hit his receiver in stride and make a big play. Hayner, again, gritty, gamer, tough, and he's also my, my highest rated group of five quarterback. One other guy that I'm really interested to see how he transitions to the, the FBS level is Cam Ward, formerly of Incarnate Word, uh, now at Washington State, 6'2", 220 pounds. And look, at the FCS level, threw for over 4,600 yards and 47 touchdowns. He can make all the throws. He's accurate. He's mobile. And he's moving to the Palouse, Pullman, Washington, with his play caller, Eric Morris. They'll be there at Wazoo. And it'll be interesting to see what he can do at that level. He's another guy to keep an eye out for because he has that dual threat capability. What he was able to do at that FCS level, be as accurate as he was, as mobile as he was, he's a guy to definitely be watch, you know, watching out for there in Pac-12 play. So the rest of the quarterbacks, and again, there's a slew of quarterbacks to really keep an eye out for. Um, I've got them kind of broken up into different categories. You, know, you look at the game managers. Our game managers are going to be Sam Hartman of Wake Forest, a guy who, good Lord, you know, put up a ton of yards there for Wake Forest, over 4,200 to be exact, 39 touchdowns, 14 interceptions, struggles with that arm strength. Um, Stetson Bennett out of Georgia, a guy that's not going to wow you with any of his physical traits, but a guy who I think just gets the job done for the Bulldogs. Look, he's a national championship winning quarterback. He has a chance to stick as a backup quarterback at the next level. You've got Aiden O'Connell out of Purdue. Knows exactly what to do there in Jeff Brom's offense with the Boilermakers. Same goes for Tanner Morgan out of Minnesota. A guy who I think you know lacks some of the arm strength. Really took advantage of having Rashad Bateman there as his wideout. When he lost him, lost Mohamed Ibrahim, I think that really lost a lot of his team. Even playing behind such a legit offensive line. Um... I think now that he's had another year under his belt with his receivers, I'm really interested to see if he can elevate his game because, look, when, when the Golden Gophers were firing on all cylinders, Tanner Morgan was having a big season. 
P.J. Fleck is hoping that they can go ahead and duplicate what we saw from him in 2020. The dual threat quarterbacks. So I think when you're talking about dual threats, you're looking at guys like Malik Cunningham. They're out of uh, Louisville, 6'1", 190 pounds. Athletic. People talk about him. Could he be the next Lamar Jackson? Look, he's not the thrower that, that Lamar Jackson is, but he's definitely a guy that can make you miss in the open field. I think he's an improving quarterback. He just needs to continue to, to develop that part of his game. You've got DJ Uyangalale. They're out of Clemson. Look, whenever you throw 12 interceptions to just 11 touchdowns, that's never going to get it done. He's lost 30 pounds in the offseason. He's big. He's physical. He's a strong runner as well. I kind of have him in that dual threat capability as a result. You've got KJ Jefferson. They're out of Arkansas as well. In that gimmicky offense, you're going to see a lot of uh, quarterback draws, a lot of him just QB powers as well because he is a big physical guy. I want to see him really elevate his game and take it to the next level. You know, that's one of the things that I worry about with, with KJ Jefferson. When you look at system quarterbacks, I think Will Rogers of Mississippi State's the guy that you definitely have to look at there. Fourth in the FBS and passing yards per game with just under 365 yards. He's not a big dude. He's not going to be a runner, but man, he knows how to run Mike Leach's offense and has the arm strength that will allow him to be successful in a Mike Leach air attack. Hendon Hooker of Tennessee. When you look at, at Tennessee and you look at what Josh Heupel has been able to do, that's a team on the rise there in the SEC. Um, Hendon Hooker struggled there at Virginia Tech. He's doing a lot better um, as a quarterback with the Tennessee Volunteers. Deep ball accuracy is something that absolutely jumps out when you watch Hendon Hooker, uh, a dude that's just able to drop the ball in a bucket. Um, I, I think timing he struggles with at times, anticipation he struggles, uh, ball placement as well, but definitely a guy who you know, is looking to build off of that 2021 season. And the reason why I say, could he be a system quarterback? You know, he wasn't able to get it done at one school. Now, all of a sudden, under Josh Heupel, he's able to get a, get the job done at a high level. Makes you wonder if it's the player or the system that really elevated his game. How about Dylan Gabriel there, formerly of UCF, now at Oklahoma. They say he's six foot, but I, I'm, I believe he, he's probably 5'10", 5'11". But a guy who threw for over 8,000 yards for the, the, the Golden Knights, 70 touchdowns to just 14 interceptions. And you know, really the biggest thing is, is this is a guy, he's very tough, but he's small in stature, small in size. And look, in Jeff Levy's offense, man, if this guy gets out and is on the move, breaking the pocket, breaking contain, um, trying to extend plays with his legs, you worry about his ability to, to stay healthy. But look, when he is healthy, he's a dynamic playmaker. But again, he's running a Jeff Levy offense, an offense that he ran at UCF with Jeff Levy. So that's really the question mark at this point is, you know, is he a product of the system? Then you have Grayson McCall there out of Coastal Carolina running that, that triple option that Jamie Chadwell and the Chanticleers run. You're going to see him with a lot of the different RPOs. You're going to see some pop passes. It's kind of a gimmicky offense. Um, it's not really, it doesn't really translate to the next level. He's definitely athletic, a guy that can, can make plays with his legs and get out on the move as well. He's accurate in that offense. He's efficient, but he doesn't have a great arm, and I don't know how much this game really translates to the next level. Your true pocket passer, 
is going to be Tanner McKee. He's an okay athlete, not a great athlete, a guy that's going to make a lot of his plays from within the pocket. He's coming off of an injury that, that slowed him towards the end of the season. Look, if Stanford wants to make a run in the Pac-12 North, Tanner McKee's going to have to have a big season. It's really just wait and see for me at this point. Your gunslinger in this group, how about Talia Tagovailoa there out of Maryland? Um, an undersized quarterback for sure, but uh, definitely a guy. Look, he's going to have some receivers. He's going to have Dante Dimas coming back from the leg injury, Rakeem Jarrett. He's going to have uh, a legit left tackle in uh, Jalen Duncan. Um, blocking his blind side. But look, he's only 5'11", 205. Um, he is a 67% career passer. Um, threw for over 3,800 yards a season ago, 26 touchdowns, but got to cut down on, on the mistakes, the ball security, 11 interceptions. Um, he's a guy that is fun to watch, but he, he makes too many critical errors that ends up costing the Terrapins. So he's a guy to, to keep an eye out for, though, as well. And then the veteran presence is Sean Clifford there out of Penn State, a guy that I think struggled at times, uh, especially down the stretch in big games. But I'm looking forward to seeing that connection between him and Parker Washington and see if he can elevate his game. So that's 26 quarterbacks that we've discussed. That's not to mention Jaden Daniels, uh, formerly of Arizona State, now at LSU, Emory Jones, formerly of Florida, now at LSU, a couple of other guys that can be thrown into the mix as well, a couple of dual threat guys. And while all of these quarterbacks are draft eligible, not all of them will be entering the 2023 draft. And really, when you think about draft classes, we've only seen three since 2000 with at least 15 quarterbacks drafted. I think you have to go back to 2002. That was the David Carr, Joey Harrington Patrick Ramsey draft where we saw 16 quarterbacks come off the board a couple years later in 2004 I mean we, we had a pretty good run there in the first round with with some Hall of Famers by the name of Eli Manning Philip Rivers and Ben Roethlisberger 17 total quarterbacks taken in 2004 and then you have to fast forward 12 seasons to 2016 and that was the Jared Goff Carson Wentz, Dak Prescott draft, where we saw 15 quarterbacks drafted. And if the 2023 draft class really wants to achieve numbers like that, it's got its work cut out for itself. But I think that's really what's appealing about this year's draft class is besides the guys at the top, Bryce Young and CJ Stroud, there are a lot of compelling storylines. Will Levis, Tyler Van Dyke, can you elevate your stock to first-round status. Devin Leary, Brennan Armstrong, what can you do in the ACC? Can you challenge for a championship in that conference? Phil Dracovic, you're coming back. Your redemption story, you and Zay Flowers, can you pick up where you really left off in, in 2020? Anthony Richardson, can you put everything together and be an elite quarterback like a lot of people are expecting you to be. There's a lot to learn at that position. Will we see him emerge there as a junior? Or does he decide to come back for the 2024 draft if there's a little bit more work that needs to be done? Keaton Slovis, Spencer Rattler, will they take advantage of their new home and their new offense? Jake Hayner, we know he's... A guy, the grittiness, the toughness, don't ever count him out. 
And then there are a lot of other quarterbacks that are going to be on that list. Will they find a way to get their names drafted as well? Which is one of the many reasons why I'm looking forward to what the 2022 college football season has in store for us. So we're going to go ahead and wrap up the quarterback podcast, but we've got the skill position players, the running backs, the receivers, the tight ends to talk about, and we'll be wrapping that up here in the next couple of podcasts over the next few days. But until next time, for readyforthedraft.com, this has been the Ready for the Draft podcast. I've been your host, Greg Schutz. Have a great week, everyone. Talk to you soon. Until next time, I am out of here.